Thrones on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, it's Chase from On the Table Gaming, and today for our episode, I'm joined by my friend Simon, and we're just gonna we're just gonna have a kind of a fun, casual chat, and maybe reminisce about some of the good times, the bad times, the ugly times. Uh, you know, we've been talking about a Song of Ice and Fire for a long time, and and Simon, you're actually one of the people that was there, like from the get go. Yes. I was entirely too keen to to get started right at the start. As soon as the the Kickstarter was announced, um, yeah, set up a Facebook group and and got involved. But Chase, I have to say, thank you for acknowledging our friendship for the first time. That's amazing. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know what I mean. It's just, I'll, I'll cut that out. I'll I'll, I'll edit it back here. No, okay, what you're talking about. You're you're certainly. I think when I think of a song of ice and fire, I have made some tremendous friendships. Uh, going back, you know, Mike Meeple for sure. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire builder Mark, Greg Young from what used to be Rebel Lightworks, and he's sentenced, moved on, and works now for Games Workshop. And you, you're people going back for like, you know, since the past five years that I've had a chance to talk with. And I think that's one of the things that's really stuck with me about this game is that I've made some lifelong friends from it. And I think, you know, you're, uh, I listed all those ones first, but I think you you might be up there. I think we've had some good times. And uh yeah, I don't know. What a wild ride. Can you ma- can you believe it's been five years? Not really. No, I can't. It seems to be... See, just so people at home know, um, so I used to run the Facebook group for a number of years, and um, like with any hobby, you kind of get not burnt out, but, you know, priorities change in your life, and you think, well, you know, maybe I, I, I don't really need to look at this every minute of my life. And so um, I was quite keen to do some other things and so stepped away from that. I think it was about 18 months ago. And um, as a result of that, I kind of really haven't kept pace with the game. I kind of took a break. Um, But, you know, I see it come up a lot. And obviously with the new um, House of the Dragon TV show, it kind of reignites your interest in things. And now when I consider A Song of Ice and Fire, um, the miniatures game, um, it's more of a being like a fan and that's great for me because it actually feels quite exciting um rather than it being kind of similar to a job <laughs> it's more of a pastime now so that that does feel really good i think that's the 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 trick right it's like how do you keep it as a hobby and not have it kind of you know overtake other things right because like you said it's, yeah. it's not a job uh, and i feel particularly sympathetic for you in that i think with the facebook group as a mod you you get to deal with like the problems, right? You know, when, when things are clipping along and things are going well, like there's some gentle touches there, but when things are, you know, people are being problematic or harassing people or things like that, then you've got to step in. And, and sometimes it kind of, you know, maybe that's, you get to deal with like the negative elements there. Yeah. It's the kind of thing you never really want to do though. It's, you know, it's, you're exposed to the full spectrum of, of human emotion and, um, and, and scale in terms of the different people you interact with. And I think it's fair to say some people you probably wouldn't choose to interact with and kind of the internet forces you into that, especially when you're a moderator. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, things happen and, um, you, you know, you try and do your best. Um, but at the end of the day, it's your time. You do it for free. You do it cause you love it. You don't do it for any other reason. Um, exactly. I didn't start a Facebook group cause I wanted to have, was it 10,000 people now? Um, yeah. you know, realize that this was my group. It's a case of, no, this is in support of the, the excellent work that the guys at Simon do. And, um, because people come together to enjoy a hobby and, you know, I've moved on to do other things like that as well. But, um, I, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a really thankless task, um, being involved tangentially around hobby stuff. You know, you do videos and you know, <laughs> yeah. tremendous amount of content and, um, it's always a real struggle. There's like a balancing act between okay, how much time should I put into this? And then you put the time in and you get the the recognition. It's always nice. Yeah, you're that guy. And you think, yeah, I am actually. I do this cool stuff and, you know, show my family. They go, oh, look how big your Facebook group is. But then <laughs> but then it comes down to, you know, you're a bit further on. You think to yourself, what's in it for me? You know, and it's like, this is a lot of work. And um, I think everybody goes through that cycle. I think what you have to do if you're considering this type of thing is, is to keep it fresh and to pivot into new things. And since I've kind of stepped back from a sort of a public facing role in terms of running the Facebook group, I've done a bunch of other stuff, other hobbies as well. We, we talk about, so just so people at home know, me and Chase talk about a little crap all the time, 3D printing, miniatures, card games, whatever it is. We just talk about, you know, stuff we should have been talking about when we we're 13 years old. Yeah, we we're weigh just... in on like cool hats, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're Renaissance men is what I'm trying to get at. Well, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You've called me that before. I'd have to look it up. I didn't know what that yeah. meant. Yeah, what I'm saying is you're, you're someone who could have lived in the 1400s. 
I'm just, I'm just gonna hit that. One. Thank you for your bucks, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Now I get it. So, but um, I think that you know, it's uh, I'm, I'm very excited about a Song of Ice and Fire. Whenever I, I look at the game, I think to myself, you know, because I, I, I had some time off and I came back to it, and I looked at some of the new units and I'm like, what the hell's that? Where did that come yeah. from? Yeah. I've always wanted that. That's really cool. The, the one I said I ordered today was the, the, the Lannisport City Guard. Wish I had them five years ago. You know, they're really <laughs> cool-looking models. It's amazing. Yeah. And what we're doing now is, I think, within the game, is you're building kind of like thematic forces, like really deep theme stuff now. Before it's like, let's put these guys together because they're good within a certain faction. Mm-hmm. But now within each faction, you can build out on like five different directions and incorporate the characters the way that they should be used. I looked at the Lannister um, Heroes 3 box set and the, syn- the synergy between... That's it. I can't remember the guy's name. The the evil maester guy. Um, something burn. I can't remember. Kyburn. Uh, Kyburn. That's right. Yeah, Kyburn. And then Robert Strong. And the synergy between those two. And it's like, oh, that's really awesome. And then you look at how um, Tommen and Cersei work together and things like that. Like, it's really cool stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of acquiring stuff. Never get around to painting anything, though. And I think the play group that I was um, involved with, they're still going strong. They still play from time to time. But... You know, other things happen, and they're into other games too now. So, um, yeah, just need to re-engage, really. And it's kind of fun, I think. And I think it's important to, like, take a break and come back. It's a lot to stay up with. And you don't want to have maybe your hobby time take over your entire, you know, your entire life. But I think it's also healthy to have, like, you know, maybe two games you play. That's actually been something that's helped things always stay fresh for me, is you can bounce between, you know, two different games. And sometimes one ebbs and flows, and you've got another one that you can, you know, pick up at those times. And then... When you're kind of itching to get back, you, you get back to the other game. And Are you going to try and make me talk about Legion here? You could jump in on that. I mean, that's the funny thing for me is I think actually yeah. Legion for me is in, a, is in a lull right now. And I'm feeling, you know, much more into a Song of Ice and Fire in this moment. We, we never did talk about like the Obi-Wan series and stuff like that. But some of the, the Star Wars properties have been like hit or miss. And, and uh, right now with House of the Dragons, I think, you know, my Song of Ice and Fire stuff is like an all time like high fever pitch. I must say I was impressed with the first episode. It felt really good. Obviously, um, it was a bit traumatic at times, but um, it certainly captured um, it, it's everything I expected. And they did a good job at introducing the characters, even though the pacing was a little bit off. Um, but, you know, there's the Ring of Power. Rings of Power. Is it Ring of Power? Rings of Power. I'm not sure what they call it. That's coming out, I think, 2nd of September. That's going to boost a whole bunch of interest in that area of the hobby as, as well. So um, it's a good time to be in miniature wargaming. I think with COVID kind of ebbing and flowing a little bit and people meeting up a lot more, um, it's certainly a good opportunity to get your miniatures on the table. Oh, oh there we go. Have you, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire, a great property, mm. great miniatures. Have you looked at, you know, Lord of the Rings miniature games? Is that something that's ever caught your fancy? It did, yeah, a little while ago. So I was into it. Um, not when it started, a little while after, because I wasn't really into miniatures then. I kind of got into it because I think I hit my 30s a long time ago. And um, I kind of thought, oh, you know, things I used to do as a kid, let's, you know, I saw there's a games workshop in the shopping mall. I went there and I thought, oh, these are cool. I've got a few miniatures, got a few paints, started collecting those. And I, I did actually start with the uh, Middle Earth range of figures. And then I got into um, Warhammer 40,000 because everyone else mm-hmm. was playing it. Yep. But I didn't enjoy playing it very much. And I didn't like the Space Marines because they're really boring. But I like the Lord of the Rings miniatures. And so I, I started not just um, playing, but just collecting them. And um, what happened is that after the Lord of the Rings finished, the, there was the Hobbit miniatures. But there's a big lull between the two. Right. And um, I just bought huge collections of Lord of the Rings miniatures at that time, just so I could like get a full range of miniatures. And I've got so many like duplicates and multiples of different characters now. I've got them all stored away somewhere. But um, now everyone's like hey this this is the game that you really want to play it's, it's so much content around um the is it called middle earth strategy battle game i think it's called yeah um the, um yeah it's certainly becoming it, it's certainly a real renaissance and um I'm, I've, I've dug out some of my figures i'm looking to put together maybe a couple of forces like elves because they look cool and probably some dwarves as well so um yeah it's, it's really cool i wouldn't say but i'm not i'm not very good at sticking at stuff you know i like um I start painting something, I never finish it. And then I buy something else and kind of things get left. Um, I really need more discipline when it comes to hobby. Well, some of these games can be particularly hard for that when you've got to paint like a ton of miniatures. Like uh, you got you know, your rank and file games and you've got, you know, 36 free folk raiders to paint. Like that can be a little bit yeah. more monotonous. 
do you, you know, you ever thought about just trying to start, like, just nail down the characters, right? Just do, like, the fellowship, and uh, they'll look nice, and everyone else can be, like, you know, gray plastic when you play. I don't like having a dessert before your main course, though. That's true. You got to <laughs> weave you them in. The cool, yeah, you do all the cool characters first. You think, okay, finish those. And th- you look over at 12 Lannister guards when you're thinking, no, I'm not going to bother with that. So, um, yeah, I think I just need to have a system. And it's a mental thing, you know, being connected to it. I want to do this because there's an outcome. I, I, you have to work towards outcomes in hobbies. You have to have a goal. And if you don't, you're never really going to make some progress. But um, I, I, what I want to do is commit some of my time to forming a habit around doing it. One of my friends, he's a really lovely gent. I won't mention his name because he probably doesn't want to be on named in person. <laughs> but um, basically what he does is um, every month he has a commitment to, to paint so many different figures. And he does all different types of figures, but the commitment's still there. And um, he's got a superb collection. Each month he posts what he's done. And um, it's, it's really cool to see people making that kind of progress. And I think I want to um, probably work on my technique so I can yeah. work more quickly. I think that's the thing, you know. You don't, you got to sort of... Um, be clever when you do this type of stuff and i think that if you just go at it and you know without without the right techniques and the right equipment then you're probably not going to have a very good time yeah and it's also about like expectation management too right where it's like oh i want this to be perfect but sometimes you got to do what's in your skill level now and use it as a chance to grow uh for me i oftentimes be like if i'm going to use it i want it painted yeah and i just enjoy the social experience so much of playing games that i'm like well i want to see everybody this friday i guess i'll paint it like now so that I can be ready to, to, to play and have us all out there. Otherwise, you know, I, I can't bring that. That's been actually like embarrassingly. So uh, the Heroes Box 3 for Free Folk, um, you know, Jon Snow, I didn't paint up Jon Snow the Crow Come Over. It's a simple miniature. So I haven't been playing that. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, what? I actually want I really want to make some lists with him. But it's like, I, I got to paint him first. Otherwise, you know. He won't get painted. You feel embarrassed about not have, having no, not a, not at all. In fact, actually, a lot of people don't don't paint their miniatures for a Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, but you know, for me, it's just like if I make a rule, I'm good at following rules, and if I just make the rule, then that's that's what I got to do. Okay, I guess that works for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm off a free thinker when it comes to that kind of thing. I I kind of think oh, it would be nice if I did that, but I never get around to it. And you know, I I don't want to look back on my many years of hobby. And all this stuff I've, I can tell my kids that I've been involved with, and they look at it and go, well, let's have a look then. And you go, okay. And you show them basically miniatures, brand new miniatures in a box. They're going to say, so what did you actually do for the last 20 years? So what's I, co- I, I collect shelves. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. So basically, it's like having a store where you take all of the stock <laughs> from the store, you store it at home at your own cost, and nobody ever buys it. And the price of it goes down over time. That's basically what I've done over the last 20 years. Do you think that's a common, like, do you think there's a slice of miniature gamers that is like a slice of society that are people that like just want to collect and have, like, do you store boxes for stuff once you've like made and assembled them? Do you yeah. keep the box? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Just because the back of my mind, it's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen one day. It's like, well, what? <sighs> What yeah. do I think is going to happen? You know, nothing has happened previously, which m- means that I needed the box, but I, I hold on to it. I don't know. It's it's this whole, it, uh, some people are just very attracted to the buyer behavior of going into a game store, you know, making a purchase selection, feeling special about that, taking it home and opening it up and enjoying it and basically getting that dopamine rush. And then after that, sometimes there's not a lot <laughs> more to it you see a lot of yeah. deals for like miniature games on facebook groups and ebay where people have obviously bought it opened it up didn't follow through on it and then sold it but luckily with a lot of these games they do hold their price fairly well so it's not as if people are losing money hand over fist but i'm certainly seeing um, ebay make a lot of money out of that kind of behavior that's for sure see i have such a hard time selling stuff especially if i painted it mm. you know i've got a bunch of war machine stuff and i, I played circle or boris and i thought they looked really cool i got some big werewolves and stuff and i painted them all up and i think they were so much fun to paint i added some you know i started getting into doing a little bit of green stuff and putting like scars on them and mm. things like that and you know am i really going to go back and play that game probably not uh, but I spent all the time with the miniatures. I don't want to just give them away or even maybe sell them. But they're just like sitting in bins. <laughs> like I don't, They're not even like out. Like I don't see them. Yeah. Uh, all these broken promises to yourself. You know, yeah. um, can you can you buy, say, say if somebody else had painted a collection of miniatures, like as an army, could you actually go and buy it and think, cool, I've got my own painted army? I can't do that. No, yeah. No, I'm like, no, it's it's not gross, but it kind of feels like, I didn't do it myself, so I don't really want it. So, um, yeah, that's that's why I struggle with it a little bit. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting point. Because like, even if I'm fielding an army that's like suboptimal or just like mm -hmm. not well thought out, I'm just like, but I painted it. Like yeah. I made this. <laughs> this maybe sounds like really weird, but like, I think I'm just like impressed that I'm even able to do this. <laughs> I'm like, what? I was able to like assemble this thing and paint it and it looks crappy, but like, I did that? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, how could I do that? That's amazing. Let's uh, face it. It's about 60% <laughs> of our hobby time is watching other people do doing what we should be doing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for me, it used to be like reading lore books. Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. I think I know more about the history of like other game systems than I do about like actual real world history. You try to talk to somebody else about it and say, actually, they go, yeah, I know. And I don't care. And it's like, okay, right. So that was a waste of time. I always find that sometimes the more you do this type of stuff, the more that lore and story kind of gets a little bit samey. You kind of think, mm, all right, yeah, I get it there. Yes, they had a a, a a sibling who they didn't get on with. No one understood them. And then, you know, it's that, that kind of yeah. like story arc, these very cliched things you hear. But in wargaming, it's like, you know, these people are, are sworn enemies from the start of time. Right. And there's always, <laughs> always a misunderstanding, not a big deal, you know, but right. it's sort of escalated. He's in the there. book of grudges now. Okay, yeah, can they resolve it? Can they sit down and talk it out? No, it's in the book. <laughs> they will forever be enemies. And it's just like, ugh. But um, I, 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 I'm waiting to see what happens with Wargaming because um, I think it's a market ripe for disruption with like hybrid experiences. And when people talk about hybrid stuff, it's not always about like, oh, a digital app or something. It's different ways of playing. And I think that Song did a good job at sort of crossing that barrier between being a miniature war game with some board game elements, which actually gives it a lot more fun and structure. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that with other games which come out. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, what's the future of song? I know um, for Games Workshop properties are so big, they spawn like lots of other imitations or other ways to play with those miniatures. Right now, I know one page rules is like really big. And maybe we could talk about that in a little bit. But I was wondering for like, you know, for a song of us about the miniatures game, like it's it's grown quite a lot. Like there's a pretty big collection of miniatures out there that you can have. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, like, you know, if we could go back and do it all again, if we went back like five, six years, I guess further than that, you know, when they were designing the game, if it could like be recreated, like what would be another way to do this game besides the way they did it? Like right now it's kind of in like a skirmish format. What could have been other visions for this game or maybe in the future? Yeah, it's a tough one because obviously it's only as successful as it's been because of its heritage. Mm -hmm. So any change you would have made would have changed that and probably in most cases been less successful. I think one thing you spoke about though was um, skirmish and um, uh, making it a much bigger game i think you can do that with the game you can i've seen people play like huge games but it doesn't seem like there's direct support for it and i think that if i was running if i was running a business like cmod i think to myself okay people have bought say 300 dollars worth of miniatures i really want them to buy 500 dollars worth so how can i do that so well, that's exactly it because like i have so many extra free folk things now yeah and the game is so tight at 40 points mm. but like i could play 100 points yeah but I, I, you know, I can't really without a like, significant effort because the tactics board really doesn't scale well for that. And I saw some people do two tactics boards. Mm. It's interesting because um, when you look at a game like this and the tactics board specifically, obviously that's a very tightly controlled um, sort of skill based. And you have to think through it, the synergy, the, the how it corresponds, different dimensions of the games. But, you know, if you have more stuff to control, that in itself is a strategic control point as well. That's a decision point you have to make. You know, rather than choosing from five units, you can commit to a flank or you can commit to a certain activity. You know, these types of things happen when these larger games. And I, I, I don't know, I get the feeling that what I, I would really want in the future potentially is a game, well, song is the game, but maybe even scale down to, and we've talked about like 15 millimeter miniatures in the past, mm. things like that. But to have this kind of like epic scale that we you kind of see, obviously not every battle for historians out there has always been, you know, like, <laughs> like these huge, right. huge battles of like tens of thousands of people lining up to hit each other. Some of them are very asymmetrical, right. some of them are very small, but they, they seem large because they're important. But that kind of thing, you know, to have the scale, I, I, um, I'm thinking that right now Song on a 4x4, four four, it could easily be a 6x4. And with that, you could add in five... Uh, four or five other units as well you know you could do that you look at um, a game like conquest which i know we've spoken about mm -hmm. um where you bring units in and like the second or third turn like reinforcements that kind of thing can happen as well 
But I think that um, fundamentally with a, a trade-based game, there are some restrictions. You know, you can't have the movement itself, the placement, the positioning. That stuff is very challenging um, to actually uh, sort of uh, control. I think the current rules are probably almost to a degree faultless in, in that type of interaction. And that's something which would probably be a more of a struggle if you had more and more different sort of units on a larger table. I think that would be challenging for people to manage. Yeah, I think for me, the the biggest thing that I would look for was I would love to have, it does have support for like team play, mm. but I'd love to see like a variant that was put out by Simon that made it easier to do like 2v2 battles. Like, I don't know if I could have like a, an any wish list thing, I, I might be like, what if there was like special like team tactics cards or something that was like a different thing entirely than what you normally played with. But, uh, you know, that's asking a lot to bounce a whole nother game. But, you know, being able to pull a group of people together and be like, let's play this and have it, you know, still work rather smoothly. Um, you know, that Amazing. would be we, we, we could team up. We could team up, Chase. Um, you could be Theon to my Rob. Oh, so, wow. Uh, oh, wow. Actually, wow. no, no, sorry. <laughs> That's so nice of you. I didn't, wow. I didn't mean Rob, I meant uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. That's at least I get to be a person and not, uh, uh, you know, reek or, uh, that that's that's very that's very kind of you. Uh, that's no problem. But yeah, you know, I think you could be t- the you know t- Lord t- of Bones to my Melisandre then. <laughs> but does team does team play actually work? Is, is it something that people want to do? I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like the thing is like we you know in in talking with guys like Shane from Boardman Gaming that come out these like really awesome thematic play experiences and you know just thinking about like you know what are other ways to play the game and for me it's like all about the social experience going there talking with people throwing some dice around and being able to be like hey we have you know to hey, let's all play together for a game and and maybe is there a way to make like the amazing choice points there are in a single player game you know make that work in a 2v2 and like you already can do that i guess selfishly like what i've seen that like michael and fabio have done with a game like marvel zombie side where they've taken zombie side a game black plague i love black plague but mm-hmm. then they take that and they just made it so much better that I'm like, man, like, I don't know if I can go back to Black Plague. Like, they may have ruined it for me. And I'm like, well, if they can do that, you know, we have our, it is a, you know, there's a team way to play A Song of Ice and Fire and people have also made, like, additional things where you do, like, double tactics boards or things like that. But I'm just like, just work your magic, guys, and make a make a thing that blows my mind away again for a, a team format. But maybe you're right. Are people, are people not playing that? I, I don't know. I think the majority of people wouldn't. But um, I can imagine people playing it if, for instance, you had, say, Rob Stark and Great John Umber, and um, people had those forces working together. And so basically, that's the kind of thing I could see work with that. But one thing I will be critical of is the fact that I don't think the game has explored the thematic side of the the IP as much as it could have done. I think there is tremendous uh, depth there in terms of how those kind of things could be done. I think they touched on it at times, but it's a lot of work, you know, and... When you're trying to sell plastic miniatures, how much of that other stuff do you need to do? And how much can you lean on the community right. to do? I think my challenge is that I, I'm like a, a lot of other people. If it's not in the rule book, it's not official. I'm probably not going to touch it yeah. because it might be unbalanced or weird. Exactly. Or, you know, or you're just basically fulfilling somebody else's gaming fantasy. <laughs> you know, they're going to completely crush you. Yeah. It can be really fun. There's some amazing stuff out there. And it's not even like I'm okay with like a little bit of imbalance, but sometimes it just doesn't really work in a it does it feels like clunky and it's just so clearly like a tertiary thing yeah and so i don't know that's sort of on the wishlist but i guess you're right like i wonder how much people would play that i think that's the challenge for simon right with the whispering wood scenario it came out it was like a thematic battle really cool you know and i think i played it twice three times maybe (laughs) max and like you know think of how many times you played the other scenarios and Mm -hmm. i was like oh yeah i kind of like did it and checked it off you don't get as much mileage from it per se yeah, it's all very um, well asking for this stuff, but no one's actually using it. Then why put right. effort into it? Yeah, that's that's very common with these types of things. So you know, but it's easy to ask. So <laughs> yeah, we want, all the, we want all this cool stuff, and we'll elect if we're going to use it or not. But you still have to put the work in. Yeah, right, that, that more, seem like more, a more. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I would prefer they continue doing what they're doing. The only cha- the only issue that I have is um, this becomes somewhat. I think they've done a very very good job at keeping things fresh and different, and I think that the um, the commander boxes they do, the heroes boxes, is, are, are the best value in probably any gaming system that you can get. Mm-hmm. It unlocks, you know, two, maybe three commanders, um, different attachments. The synergy within that is absolutely incredible. 
And I think that's what, what's really cool. If I'm, you know, if I'm looking at um, doing anything with my army, I would always pick up one of those hero boxes for sure. I think unit selection is always like, well, let me read the reviews here. I'll, I'll buy one because right. I like the miniatures. Am I going to buy two? Probably not anymore. I used to. I used to buy like two crossbowmen and stuff like that because I, I, they work well together. But now I'm being a bit more selective. But in my army, what I really want is I want to have more different units. I don't want to have like three guardsman units. I want to right. have a whole variety of cool things. So when you look at them, they look great. That's all. And I really want new pyromancer models as well because I don't like the, the existing oh. ones. Very much. <laughs> and I really want them to because I want to play a, like a, a, a Tywin list um, mm-hmm. with um, I think uh, Robert Strong goes in the pyromancers, and basically it makes them like really nasty and also quite defensive as well. Those are the cool things that I want. And I, hopefully they'll get to that, you know, in time. Um, I would love for them to do uh, sort of uh, uh, pre-assembled models, but with some options. So you can do like things like change the arms around and have different poses and stuff. I think we got to that level of, of maturity of the game that, you know, I'd want to customize some units and not just have like three or four different looking um, sort of uh, soldiers. I, I really want to have a bit of variety there. You know, those are the kind of things that they could do. Would you buy another unit of Lannister Pyromancers if they came out with a new box with new sculpts? Yes, definitely. Do you think that's maybe not a viable method, though, for doing anything like this, right? Because they'd have to retire, like, all those old units. Like, no one would want to buy the old one then. Yeah, I think to a degree. I think it's obviously with the inventory management is quite um, important. But if you look at the number of people who own that unit and then consider how many people buy new, new units anyway, you look at the, how the player base has expanded, there might be a case to say, actually, yeah, if we did them differently, maybe with a different attachment or they worked, you know, or the models are very dynamic. You know, I, I always see the pyromancers as being like the people plus the stuff, the, 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 um, the, what are they called? The green fire stuff? The wildfire, yeah. That. Yeah, the wildfire, but having like a big cauldron of that on the base yeah. as well. And that kind of thing. And that's, you know, that's what people buy. A lot of people buy miniatures because they like the way the miniatures look. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I'm sure that not many people have got more than one unit of them. So um, maybe there is a case for that. I'd like to see something like that. But then again, I want to see the Hill Tribes. I, you know, I'm, yep. <laughs> I like Lannister and Night's Watch. So, you know, I want to see those kind of things as well. And I'm sure you've got things that you want to see for the free folks still. Oh my gosh. I was, you know, I keep joking about it. You know, there's one line in the book where Veramir Six Skins is talking about all the other skin changers. And we've we've got Barak with the the bear now. Oh, with the boar mm-hmm. now. But uh Grisella with the battle goat. I'm just like, I want a skin changer with a battle goat. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Heck, she could be riding or like, you know, it could be whatever, put it with the bears. I don't know. But a battle mm-hmm. goat would be uh just strange enough to add to my like zoo menagerie that I would I would definitely want that. <laughs> yeah. One thing I've always been very impressed with, with the song community and all of the content creators is how passionate people are about the game. I think the Middle Earth group, there's some fantastic folks who do stuff there as well. But um, song is very similar. The way that people are very passionate about it, that there's there's very uh, raw emotion sometimes when things aren't the way that people want them to be, but also a tremendous amount of support for different people. So um, I, I think that that's, that's really cool. When you see things like that, it's a you know positive and a negative sometimes but overall i think that people care and that's a good thing you know if people stop caring then these games aren't viable but people really really care about a song of ice and fire still yeah the thing i just love about this game that is i know like you know down the line you know games aren't forever yeah but this is a game that i know i could pull out in 15 years and the rules are simple enough that i could heck even teach somebody and, and slide trays around and still have a good time it's not like you know, do you have any of those like Twilight Imperium, like bigger games where you're like, sweet, this is so awesome, but I'm never going to play this. You know, if I had to teach somebody, if I wait and, you know, want to play a game, is I, I really need to have like a dedicated crew ready to go. And yeah, I can uh, see you bullying grandkids into this. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. Well, yeah. exactly. Come on. I'd be like, it was a thing. <laughs> that series went for 10 years. The book's <laughs> longer. And like... <laughs> I used to do a radio show about this. Yeah, is this, yeah. or is this just me trying to like talk myself into my sizable investment here, where I'm like, I'm gonna get value out of this. I swear, like this will be, this is forever. It's an investment. The fact you call it an investment makes me crazy. People <laughs> talk about investments, and it's like, is that really? Is that the best investment you've made? Because I'm I, I don't think I've made. I didn't say I made a good investment, but I've invested some time <laughs> and money into this hobby. <laughs> Emotional so, investment, I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When people talking about the, the monetary side of it, I'm thinking it's... Oh, no, there was no, there's no monetary, there's no, yeah. yeah, there's no dividends on that. This is all uh, <laughs> emotional, you know, payout. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I think it's cool. If, if nothing else ever happened with the game, I'd still play it. 
I think it's, yeah. there's, there's so much there that I haven't explored so far. And um, how many factions? There's like nine factions Yeah, now. nine factions. I heard on your podcast, this podcast previously, that Michael promised there'd be a tenth as well. Well, oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you heard him. He said the number 10, so made a, made a I think we're ready to go, so, yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering when, what's the delay? Let's get this out here. Yeah, now. I'm, and I think it's going to be with the Mounted Tywin, so that's going to be great. That's one of the miniatures I've always wanted. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We we were promised. Is there a patch phase miniature yet? There is not. So there's some big ones still to come, I think. Right. There's a lot of like every time I'm like, wow, we've done so much. And then it's like, oh, yeah, there are actually a lot of characters still that there's room to explore. So the books aren't even done yet. You know, (laughs) that's true. I mean, imagine, you know, I've been saying this for the last five years. That we've been covering the game but when the next book drops mm-hmm. who knows what other new new characters may be introduced like people think he might be starting to wind things up i think he might be we might see a lot of new characters put in there yeah i'm not sure uh, let's face it though everybody in the world wants a daemon targaryen miniature right now yeah they that's want true that, that that dragon armor on the horse everybody wants that miniature right now because that was in the show he looked absolutely incredible matt smith did a fantastic job he was he was really electric as that character really brought it to life and um, that's really cool things you see in, in this whole IP you know people knock the endings of the the Game of Thrones on the TV shows stuff like that and it was a bit of a farce really it was you know kind of sped up slow down and just weird mm-hmm. um, nothing was impactful and it was rushed but um, I think that um, I'm hoping that um, House of the Dragon does allow people to see that there's a bit more subtlety and nuance within this and, you know, who knows, maybe one day there's an opportunity for them to rectify some of what happened and uh, maybe go in a different direction. I could see pretty much all of the cast saying, you know what, if there's a book made and it went in a different direction, maybe we could come back and uh, and do things according to the book. I think the interesting. probably interesting. hold that in the back pocket for a later day and reserve the option to do stuff. Release the Martin cut, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Let's face I it. I mean, that would generate a lot of buzz. Are you kidding me? Oh, it would be, yeah. It'd be like, because um, they do that with like superhero stuff now. Yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you couldn't miss it if they were like, "Hey, we're gonna do a different ending, or we're doing a, a different season ending." Like, if you watch Game of Thrones, like, even if you hated it, I mean, especially if you hated it, like, you're not, you're not gonna miss that. Imagine yeah. if people hated it more. It'd be hilarious. Well, I, mean, I think some people <laughs> just like to hate. That's a yeah, exactly. <laughs> But man, I don't know this. The even the costumes and the settings. It was really fun with with House of the Dragon to see just the settings again. It's like wow, like this is a cool world. I think at the very least, like I know some people I've talked to have been a little upset and like you know these books got to get finished because you know X Y Z. I want to know how it ends. But I'm kind of just like this is the, he just created this like amazing open world. It's like a role playing setting almost. Like you're just like it's just cool that it exists as a concept. You know the guy can't win because yeah. let's face it. How many other people in in the world ever have written a book which is so highly regarded at the scale that he has managed to achieve, created probably one of the most fantastical fantasy universes in the last 30 years, which is prominently number one or number two uh, most highly regarded, and he's struggling to write a book? Yeah, I'd struggle. I struggle with that. <laughs> and let's face it, he's gone back and he's an executive producer for the TV show, which I think he kind of needed to do to right some of those wrongs. He didn't like the fact that, that things had been left the way it was. And, you know, it's all very well him writing the next book and everyone turning around saying, oh, well, guess what? Your TV show was shit. And it's like, well, I can't win. You know, what can I do? So um, I think that he's he's done the right thing. But um, it's taken him 11 years to write a book. I would never be able to write a book with so many loose ends. And, oh, he, you know, painted himself into a corner. No one complained when they're reading the, the, yeah. the last book that oh, yeah. it's too complicated. Now people loved it, so you know it's you can't win with this type of stuff. And um, hopefully there will be a, a, another finished book. <laughs> I don't think it's going to write two more. Um, but um, I also think that sometimes the best tales are the ones that don't finish. You know, the mm-hmm. ones where you yeah. can leave open to imagination. It's a shame with Lord of the Rings that it's very tightly prescribed at the end i'd rather it be more open to people's interpretation and then people can you know imagine around that i struggle with the ring of power tv show the way that they've taken on this uh, sort of guidance from the books it's fair to say and kind of built into that and sort of use some characters and sort of uh, you want to know what's right and what's made up and um, I, I think a lot of people who are fans can't enjoy an experience where it's been co-opted into other material. And I think that's the challenge that Ring of Power is going to have when people look at that. I think it's, it's solvable. And I think if it's good enough, people will love it. But um, I think with House of the Dragon, it's, uh, it's, it's written the right way because it's written like a script. 
where people can interpret it, right. they can add to it, and but it follows a narrative. And mm-hmm. that narrative we know is actually going to work really well. And you have the big, you know, big bullet points of the things you're going to hit, the big beats as you're going through. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, part of my kind of growth with these IPs has really been informed by, uh, you know, my personal feelings about like Star Wars. Uh, you know, the original trilogy, especially as a kid, the messages in there, I really like identify with Luke and these ideas of like hope and like never giving up and there's good in everybody, et cetera. And, you know, they were really impactful to me. And then the prequels came out and like, oh, they were not my favorite thing. And then, you know, a lot of the Star Wars shows now, like I watch every single Star Wars things that come out, but mm-hmm. I guess I'm not, I'm not super in love with it all. And I'm like, wow, what happens when you're like, you know, 20 of these things and I like, you know, five of them or something. Uh, and I'm like, I guess I got to recognize that Star Wars is now like its own genre of, you know, media. And there are stories told within Star Wars that I like, and there are stories that I don't. And the fact that this, you know, trying to be one cohesive thread and everything tied together, like, you know, I got to recognize that, you know, some of that stuff's not going to be for me and not interest me. And and uh, I think for Lord of the Rings, it's sort of similar. Where I'm like, it, you know, it's its own, you know, world that they're going to play in. And I'm hoping the series will be good. And if it's not, you know, the original trilogy were, you know, really amazing. And uh, I just have to, you know, kind of maybe make a little more peace with that. Um, so that's kind of in my own growth of these things. I think that people are going to be a bigger fans of the Hobbit than they were before. I think that's inevitable. People say, Oh, the Hobbit was great. It's like, well, hang on. Nobody said that five years ago. Where did that come right, from? Right. Um, but, um, I think you're right. I think it's about, um, increasing the scale. The more of something there is, the less special it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, growing up a Star Wars, if there was only ever those three Star Wars movies, it would be amazing, but people wanted more and right. you're never going to recapture and that. Boba Fett, well, I heard he got out of the pit. Like, I don't think so. I think he's dead in there. And there's an extended universe stuff for saying what this. A, and it's like, what a bummer having all of that kind of stuff as a kid ruined by a TV <laughs> show, which was kind of half what you wanted it to be. And now it's official. You kind of think, well, okay, don't have to dream about that anymore. You know, like, everyone was coming up with some cool stories. Who was that? Um, is it Patton Oswalt did that thing about um, Boba Fett on Parks and Recreation? He did this filibuster oh, skit. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, where he was like discussing it. It's very similar to what happened. But that's really what everybody wanted to happen to Boba Fett. But it was the tragedy of Boba Fett, which was the thing about it, was the fact right. that there could have been something. Maybe there could be. And as soon as it becomes official, it just kind of shatters the mirror. Right. You know, you kind of think to yourself, oh, that's not, that, you know, that's not so cool. I, this comes up a lot in my life. And I've mentioned it before, but there's a great George R. R. Martin short story with Morning Comes Mistfall that kind of wrestles with those themes of like the magic and the mystery and like the wonder and then the knowing. And I feel like you know, so much of like even a wargaming, it's like, oh, the wonder of like getting this next thing and like, what's it going to do? And like, oh my gosh, wow. And then things getting like kind of teased out. You know, I think for me, my favorite time during all of us, Song of Us and Fire, was when Michael used to be able to drop information in the Facebook group and just be like, well, tease one thing out. And then yep. another week. And, you know, it was kind of a slow drip. Part of the fun of the game is not only playing it, but kind of in the community, it's the wonder and the speculation and the how will this change things? And oh my gosh, it came with a, an extra tactic zone. Like, what? And then, you know, getting to play it. Can we just take a moment for everybody to acknowledge how well you steered that back from us talking about TV shows to talking about the game? I really admire you, Chase, because that was masterfully done. <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> on to me. He's on to me. You put this back <laughs> into context. It wasn't just like two dudes rambling on <laughs> about TV shows. It had a bit more structure, but. We get there, we get there. I like to keep it a little bit loose on here, though, and just, you know, just talk and see where it goes. So, with the Martells, um, there's another tactics board area, is that right? Yes, that is true. Uh, The Water Gardens. There was one with the Targaryens as well. Yep, that's the uh, the House of the Undying. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, that's cool. That so you can actually have, that. you could potentially have a game where there's seven zones that you're competing over on the tactics board. I like the sound of that. That sounds kind of fun. It's kind of new and it, like you know, kind of an interesting thing. And so the cool thing is that uh, that actually maybe opens up for like more NCU play. Mm. You know, you could feasibly bring like. I don't know, four NCs you wanted to, but then you're really competing. Like you're really, you know, m- you know, skimping on your combat units. You got to be really, de- you know, deliberate in what you're using there. And I wonder how that'll shift things up. Um, you know, going back when the game first came out, initially mm-hmm. there was a lot of people running quite a bit of like spam, like running a lot of certain units and trying yep. to get like huge activation advantage. And that was kind of like the very first, you know, before Night's Watch. And then I think that's how Don Shelke made a lot of, had a lot of success is that he started playing kind of lower activation, like elite units, 
and then using characters like Tyrion to like get extra activations on them and just try and like nuke other units off the board really early. So, you know, these kind of things ebb and flow. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming this will push into us into another era where people are experimenting with these things and maybe we'll see some more hyper elite. Maybe we'll change the way interactions uh, with activations happen. Maybe not. So when people play today then, because again, I'm slightly disconnected here, are, are people still not playing that many NCUs? Are people normally taking like one or two or, or something? What's happening? I still think mostly people take three but i think you know you can definitely run two and i think we were just talking with luke hartman who won the u.s national championship and he had a two ncu list and a three ncu list and he's saying hey you know as starks i will run if i'm gonna run two ncus i feel like i really got to bring peter baelish because he lets me deny my opponent a zone while getting a zone it's for himself like right. getting an effect he wants and so that you know you you've got to really play some way to mess with your opponent's plans, right? So there are, you know, there are viable ways to work around it. I don't think it's like a solved problem, but I definitely think some people have preferences. But it's cool to see, you know, how, you know, does adding an extra tactic zone mix that up? How does that change it? Or with characters now that can like put a strangler token on a, uh, a zone where if you claim it, you know, twice you get a token, your character dies, like you can start to kind of mix with the formula a little bit. Is that what they're doing with House Martell then? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot obviously to explore. You know, for me, I'm I've never really been like hyper competitive. It's all, I, I enjoy the fun of just meeting up with people and playing. And I get that people want things where they can show their skill and they can be competitive because it makes people feel good. And you know, that's why people play games a lot of the time. It's, right. Um, but it doesn't really appeal to me. And my, you know, managing the Facebook group, I noticed that a lot of people weren't kind of like lifestyle miniature gamers. They were people who liked the game because they liked the books and just wanted to have fun with friends. And yeah. um, I think that the game does a pretty good job at incorporating both of those different persona into the into the fan base for sure. You know, there is an area of of, um, of, of com sort of a com the competitive element for sure. But um, for me, I'm always happiest when. I'm playing with my good friends. We're laughing and joking about stuff, talking about the units and surprising one another with different plays and stuff. It's that's, that's fun. And that's how I like to spend my time. So hopefully the game continues to support both of those things moving forward. Yeah, and I think it's still in that. I think that's the one thing that's clearly evident is that because the game is so board gamer friendly, mm. you know, and you can draw on people that have card game experience and it's got the tactics cards, people that are more used to the board games with like simple token play, it isn't that big of a jump into uh, and the fact that the minis are pre-assembled, I know it maybe, you know, we want to have some room for variation, but, you know, we got a, a family that picked up uh, two sets of the uh, Star Wars Legion Clone Wars boxes, mm. and they're kind of new to the hobby. Their oh, kid I, wanted to play. I bet they fell out because of them when they've tried to get those, um, is it the clone troops? Not the clone yeah, troops. Yeah, no, the clone troopers are the wonderful ones. You just plug and push and play. And right, like, the other ones. Then they get to the B1 battle droids, and, you know, they got their 10-year-old kid they wanted to play with, and, you know, it's... It's a little bit out of their initial hobby skill level. And that can be like a huge turnoff. That's honestly one of the reasons why I'm a little bit like hot and cold on Marvel Crisis Protocol mm -hmm. is because I bought some of their miniatures and they were great. Some of them have like huge gaps I had to fill. And then, you know, the skill range on certain miniatures, you get like a, a Shuri and, you, uh, uh, you know, from uh, Wakanda and you're trying to assemble it. And it was like a nightmare. And I was like, I'm I'm actually kind of struggling and, I, and I've assembled plenty of miniatures. And I was like, well, it's weird to have in a miniature range some that are so easy and then some that are so difficult and it's not like marked on the box anyway like you know you know more advanced or something you know yeah and you know you solve a lot of those problems with the game like this you don't have to paint your miniatures if you just want to place the game you pull out of your tray uh, like pull out of a drawer and just put on the table like yeah go for it you know i have been um, in a store before bought a, bought a set of miniatures and got them on the table straight away yeah them. that has oh, yeah that, there's something that's like cool okay i've done this and got the cards right there everything's ready to roll so question for you then if someone was coming back into the hobby and they've been away for a bit, how would they get back into song? What's the best way that people could actually, because I've seen the new, I think there's a yeah. Lannister and a Stark starter yep. set. Yeah. I bought the Lannister one because it looks, the miniatures look really good. Um, what does that get you? And what do you actually need to do to, to sort of get back? Yeah. Into so I think the biggest thing is you got to look at the value of, you know, how, how much are you trying to save some money here? Mm. The Stark versus Lannister starter set gives you a lot. And the best part is that in some places you can find those original starter sets like significantly discounted. Mm -hmm. But the problem is 
Uh, I just think the sculpts in the new starter sets are just miles beyond. So if you're like someone that really cares about the look and feel of the miniatures as well, you know, you just kind of want to get a newer starter set. And they come with a 21, the 2021 update cards for the Lannisters and the Starks. There's maybe been four or five cards that have changed, which is difficult. I think that's always kind of a bummer to hear when someone's like, I just got the new set. It's got all the updated cards. And you're like, eh, yeah, but you got to change these three. Okay. Um, but I think you, you jump in one of those. And like you said, you buy a starter set, you buy a hero's box, and then you honestly just pick a cool unit. You got a full army there. So how, how long did you keep going buying every single unit? Because I think we both did that at the start. Yeah. We ran out of game. I think you got into the free folk and you're like, no, I'm set. Yeah, basically that. I mean, I picked up the starter sets. I went a little bit overboard on Greyjoy. Yeah. But, you know, this last year, if it's been a little hard at times to get stuff. That was a challenge for me. Okay. But I really kept going heavy on the free folk. And then I just pick up a few units that I think are cool. But, you know, I didn't get the Lannister uh, City Watch. I haven't got the Lancer Hero box. But, you know, this year, I think there was 20 boxes that were releasing that was announced at Gamma. Jeez. That's a lot. lot. Yeah, you know, people, I know there's been different, you know, they've been arriving at different times or certain places, but, hmm. you know, people being like, you know, do they even care about this game anymore? And it's like, dude, I think, you know, Star Wars Legion has like slowed down to a, a very, like, you know, every couple, every quarter you get like a unit box and like sometimes they'll miss your faction and you're like, oh, yeah, guess I'm waiting to the second half of the year. Like, this is uh it's going pretty strong yeah absolutely i i think for me i i, I collected everything up until gray joys so i bought a lot of boxes of stuff which frankly is still pristine in the box um i think that when the baratheons came out it made me realize how much i enjoyed the lannisters and i'm going to mm. say that the baratheons weren't quite as much to my liking as the uh, what we'd seen previously i think what happened is they recovered with the gray joys but for me the baratheon models aren't necessarily my favorite ones and i can't put my finger on it because they are great models but um, yeah i think it's because of the familiarity with the like lannisters are very present in the books very present yep. in the tv show they get pre predominantly most of the the, the, the the screen time on the tv show and so you actually know what the gold cloaks do what the city watch does right. all these different types of things so it's very easy to make that sort of mental link but baratheons it's it's challenging you know um i also one thing i didn't like the fact they all had hammers um it, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for silhouette purposes and for recognition i get it but um i converted some of mine and gave them swords from like a, a half of a stark box set that i had and i cut the mm -hmm. swords off and i put them on there and they look pretty good but um yeah, i wish there's a bit more variation um for the baratheons and also it might seem silly but them just being that yellow plastic for some reason i, I didn't value them the same way as that's I did. so funny that you say that because i definitely think some of the miniatures just look better in certain colors like yeah. when you prime them they look great but like yeah. the yellow is a weird color I have bad news for you, though. I know you're jumping back in and you got the Lannister, the new Lannister starter set with the beautiful sculpts. Mm -hmm. you're, you're picking up units for them. Um, you may really enjoy playing the Martells. Ah. And uh, that might be something you just keep an eye out on um, with okay. that sort of political play and the, you yeah. know, the, the more cunning style of, of battle. So I, I think I've got so Lannisters and Night's Watch. So I've got my kind of like uh, lush green fields and snowy uh, vistas. And then obviously um, with the Martells, it's going to be like sandy kind of bases and stuff like that. You could do that a bit with the Targaryens, but um, it's more of like a, 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 a sort of a, a sort of a desert type of thing with uh, um, some of the miniatures that I've seen. But one thing I was doing the other day is that someone said, you can get these models in Canada. I'm like, really? So I basically went on <laughs> Google and went through so many miniature stores trying to find them, like going beyond just a regular Google search to see if I could get that starter set and I couldn't get it anywhere. So um, I know that some people already have it in hand and I'm super jealous because it does look pretty <laughs> amazing. I, I love the the unit models that look absolutely beautiful. I think, is it the, um, uh, what are the two that or the three that come in the box set so you've got your uh the dervishes yep uh with the short blades that look really cool you've got your sand skirmishers which i really like that have like the cloaks yep. and the bows yeah and I then like you've got ones. your spearmen and the spearmen as far as the sculpts they might be not as quite dynamic as the others um i think what i'm really looking for in miniatures these days is i i guess i'm just always going back to the lannister halberdiers i really like when the units are in that sort of formation yep and I know it's like not quite as dynamic, like they don't look as good individually, but I think on the tray, that's what really stands out to me. And I, and I would hope, I hope maybe someday to have maybe the, you know, Unsullied Pikemen and some of the other spear units like that come out in a format that 
is a little bit more combat posed. Oh, that's what the Sunspear Royal Guard have. They they look awesome like that. They're going to rank up on the tray and look like they're in like almost more of a phalanx sort of formation. Oh, and it's just like, yeah, like do more of that. Like yeah. you're stuck on the trays. Like make the tray look cool. Like think about a big picture. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. You know, you look at um, I remember the nice watch. Um, so basically, you had the veterans who were like very stoic and just like stood there with their swords. Oh yeah. And then you had the sworn swords, and they're like like swords in impossible angles over their heads. You know, trying to like jumping every way some of them are really really animated and go absolutely crazy and some of them are just like pretty chill which um, do you prefer kind of a happy medium i like a little bit of dynamism but i don't want people sort of like jumping off rocks the whole time and like doing backflips and stuff actually we haven't we haven't seen a model do a backflip yet i'm sure that's coming but um you know we'll have to wait and see um but yeah i, I like the fact that it's not the actual fighting they're doing this is like the the assembling to be to two fight if you see what i mean so the, yeah. the battle pose rather than the murder pose okay i think the only miniatures that really you know sometimes i'm like oh i wish for them uh, a lot of times on like creatures you'll mm. have if there's multiple you'll have like multiple poses and there'll be like one where it's standing still or one that's like in motion yeah especially for like like elephants or things like that like i really prefer the like in motion but i think when they're not in motion it's fine you just put a little dude next to it it's like the handlers with them uh, but I, I love the more dynamic look. You know, this is an opportunity for 3D printing to put stuff on the bases, to give them a little bit of extra kind of things going on there as well. Bit of variation. That's how I print. I've got a 3D printer and that's really what I don't print miniatures that much because how many more miniatures do I really need? And, you know, it's like I'm not really heavily invested in something. We'll talk about this um, one page rules thing in a minute. But, um, you know, I like to do things which support the games that I already have. Um, like if it's like cool terrain, I want to print that out. If it's like um, things you can put on bases or something like that, that's cool. You know, but I'm, I'm not going to print a whole bunch of like miniatures and make a new game around that. I don't have enough time. So um, I think 3D printing is really where people want to make that sort of a distinction. I think with things like mammoths, however, you know, you're not, it's not as if you're going to have many mammoths doing different types of things. They're pretty much like <laughs> animals moving in one direction. They're going to look pretty similar. Do a backflip. That's all I'm asking. You you at least want one on, on two feet trying to trample something down. That's what you no, want. There was there. some there's some hero out there that put a giant on the back of one of them, and I was like, that that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's Battle what Steve. people want to see. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's hit this. Let's hit this one-page rules thing. Mm. Uh, this is something that there's a huge amount of buzz on. Talking about 3D printing, mm. have you had a chance to like really dig through that yet? A little bit. It's interesting because I, 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 um, I like the models. I saw them, and I think most people who got 3D printers probably go on like Patreon or something and type 3D models, and they see, oh, that's cool. I'll join that, and they get the STLs, but they print a couple of miniatures, never go much further with it. But um, from what I'm seeing, um, one-page rules has uh, kind of got that hybrid which has been missing of having. I think fairly good miniatures. I wouldn't say they were top tier. I think they're, they're pretty good. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that a lot of people really like what they're doing. But the secret yeah. is, is that it's the hybrid, the rules, very simple to learn, but they can be used um, with the 3D printer models, but also your existing collection as well. And this is where we're going to see um, disruption in the industry. This is what people, they've got uh, 10,000 um, Patreons right now, I believe, which is a quite a large number for that, that type of project. And they're growing pretty quickly. I think we're going to start seeing probably um, maybe next year, some companies. Actually, there was one company that did it. Um, the guys that did the Fallout game and Elder Scrolls, they've got STLs. They support that type of stuff. Oh, um, really? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, not for like the, the core miniatures, but for some other stuff they, that you can buy STLs for them. You can get like a, the, um, for Fallout, I think you can get like the truck stop thing with the um, big rocket at the front and stuff like that. You can print it yourself. And for um, the Elder Scrolls game, they've got the, if you played the game, you get down to like where the first dragon is after it's invaded that village. He's on like a tower and you can get that tower, um, which is quite iconic in the game. You can 3D print that as well. So um, I think just think we're going to see more of that type of stuff. For me, I was looking at the rules. First off, I was disappointed when I opened it, the rule books, and they were 16 pages long. Yeah. I was like, what? This is one page rule? But 16 <laughs> pages, that's a, that's a short rule set. And it really hits, it kind of has a reminiscent feeling of like, you know, older 40K, uh, the, at least the, the Grimdark Future game they had. Right. But, you know, the other thing is like the, the rules are quick. They're easy. The miniature agnostic. So you can bring in, you know, your your miniatures of choice. You could play a Song of Ice and Fire miniatures with this in, you know, their their uh, Age of Fantasy skirmish game, for example. But what stood out to me was that it's like if fans are making the game, you know, and mm -hmm. they have for uh, the, the sci-fi setting they have, they have miniatures you can get to print. They have the star host like Sauron, like gecko creatures. And it's basically oh, yeah. like yeah. lizard men yep. in space. 
and they got like rocket packs and like pistols. Wow, that is just so cool. And like, you know, how do we not have this in other game systems yet? This is a uh, you know just just a, a, a it's like a an ode to like your love of this you know this game. I don't understand that, what happened with Warhammer Forty Thousand. It's like Warhammer Forty Thousand got merged with Disney at some point, and they've come up with this thing which is very unsatisfying for both kind of people: the people who want sort of like the space fantasy stuff, and people who want the grim dark space approach it doesn't really do either thing because they're between the two i'm looking at the is it the leagues of votan which is the the squats which they call space dwarves or whatever now they've changed the name of them to leagues of voton and i'm looking at them thinking they just look like chubby space marines it's all you know they don't mm. actually look like cool they've they've, they've 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 always trying to move the needle do something different and as a result you know i'm looking at the whole um lineup for 40k and I'm, the coolest miniatures they do are for Necromunda. And uh, I just wish that they did those miniatures for 40k. And like, all the cool, like, um, like Shadespire, they had some great miniatures there. Not Shadespire, sorry. Um, come on with the space, uh, Blackstone Fortress. Yeah. Some really cool miniatures in that. And, you know, I just wish that those were the 40k miniatures. They, they, they seem so driven in certain aspects of it. And the variation, the risks they take, are, it's very vanilla now. And um, I'm not a big fan. I think that they need this next version to really hit home. Do many people play um, the Horus Heresy relaunch game around your way or not really? Not our way. We have, so, you know, one of the things is, uh, one of the places I play is near a sub base. And so a lot of times we get servicemen coming in and, and it just seems like 40K is the game for a lot of enlisted people because whatever base they end up going to, yep. Yep. there's somewhere nearby they can play. And so that kind of dominates in that in that sphere. Mm. You know, I will say, I, I hear Chris, I will say the miniatures are from Games Workshop are just far and away so much better to paint and assemble than you know really anything else that i'm i'm putting together but i I hear what you're saying about they're not maybe taking as many risks and i think that's what's so crazy about things like one page rules is that they're i don't know how they get around like trademark infringement i guess these are just like space lizards but they're taking something that is very familiar and a lot of people have played like lizard folks uh in in you know a warhammer setting and they're taking a thing that looks familiar and they're adapting it in another cool way I saw someone out there was making 3D printed uh, Skaven sci-fi troops. And they have these like wheel, mono wheel motorcycle things that are on. I'm just like, whoa, like they're not bound by any lore or reason. You know, the cult of cheese or whatever it was called. They can just kind of have fun or run with it. Yeah. It makes me really excited and it makes me really worried about like where the future is heading for miniature companies. And maybe I just need to start thinking about Patreons as miniature companies because, you know, 10,000 people you know, getting weekly files to print. Like, I guess that's probably on scale with a bunch of you know, other smaller war games, maybe. I think so. If you look at the way that people buy games anyway, you know, they go to they go to their friendly local game store. Most do it out of a feeling of obligation because they know the people there and they want their businesses to, to be, do okay and not fail. They go in there, they basically have a reduced selection compared to what's on the internet. Um, they buy it at a more considerable markup and sometimes basically have to pre-order it. And so it's a basic, well, it's a less effective version of Amazon where you actually have to travel to go and get the stuff anyway. So when you're looking at the way that game stores provide services to people, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. And um, the reason that people used to go to game stores was for expertise is because the internet wasn't such a big thing. And so they could actually speak to other people who were highly knowledgeable, but buying behaviors changed and people self-select the kind of things that they want to have when they want to buy. So as a result of that, it's kind of decentralized that knowledge sharing process. And so game stores really represent the, like the, the, the social interaction point. And for things like war games, that makes perfect sense. You know, you've got great terrain tables and stuff, but how do you monetize that? That we yeah. do you go to the old model of expecting people to overpay for a product which takes up your shelves, or is there a better way that you could do that? And that's the challenge that folks are going to have with this type of stuff. You know, game stores are going to have it rough. If you look at board games, you know, Kickstarter, people get it, they play at home, they play with their friends. You know, it's great to be able to get a game, and rather than having to go to a game store, you could go to a, somewhere that does nice food and have it there, yeah. or go to a bar play it there. that's yeah. great um so we're gonna see things change but um i think with the the patreon 3d printing it takes like a designer like someone like rip Priestley to basically say mm-hmm. okay this these are the rule sets here we're going to build a company around this and as soon as anybody tackles this with 
a significant budget and use that as their primary distribution method, we're going to see things change very, very quickly. And a lot of other companies are going to pivot into this, but no one's done it yet because I think the technology in 3D printing is not quite there. It's too messy. There's, um, it's not exactly healthy to 3D print stuff. It, once that's tackled, the fidelity is there right now. You can get fantastic results. Um, the medium itself may break quite easily. That's somewhat of a problem. But it's also the fact that, you know, you need other people to play with. And once they, those numbers start going up to a critical mass, that's the way that people are going to enjoy these things. In 10 years time, people are going to print out anything they want and they're just going to play with it. I think this is how game companies need to consider the future. And what they need to do is probably have something which is more similar to uh, like a, a seasonal type of uh, interaction where there's a reason to keep playing or subscribing like dungeons and dragons moves into that now where you pay a subscription to use online resources and stuff i think that's what we're going to see with miniature gaming to a degree if they elect to go this route of having sort of like self-printed uh, miniatures or maybe miniature agnostic games yeah man i don't know it just it just feels like such a big change from what i'm used to but even what you're saying about gaming spaces i have a game store my friendly local game store i love to go to i love the yep. people there sometimes i just go out there to like talk with the manager there because i think he's a cool dude and just down the road my local library has these game nights and there's like 30 people that go to them yeah and you know i'm just having a blast of that too. And I was like, oh man, we could totally play war games at the library. The library, libraries in the United States are like ridiculous, at least where I live, are like ridiculously excited to be like helpful and be used as a space. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my gosh, we, we could be having game nights, you know, at a place like this that are doing war games as well. Like, I don't know, for me, isn't that just like really made me stop and think and be like, what does the future look like? If people could get products easily delivered to their house or print them themselves, like, really anywhere it's kind of like you know charging electric vehicles and you're like well there'll be no gas stations someday and it's like well then where will they charge and it's like well wherever there's a spot they can charge it's just hard for me to like wrap my mind around how this is going to change because there's some places nearby where you go and you, you pay a fee to use a table you know and it's like I i'm going to pay five bucks to a table and like yeah and it's like helping the establishment yeah but like i said like or I, you know if there's a library that has a room they want to set aside for board game and gaming in like geez like <laughs> you know to be some honest, of these are pretty nice buildings if people wanted to do uh, basically charge by the space then much will do like personal storage like lockers and stuff they make more oh, money doing it oh my gosh so, you know it's um it's very weird it, obviously people who have game stores do it because they're passionate about it but i don't understand the future I don't understand how they're going to continue doing it. Even the sort of the bigger sort of like franchise type game stores, it's challenging for them. You know, a lot of companies say, hey, we make the money off Magic the Gathering. Everything else is a bonus. That's how they make mm. money in their stores. So, um, right. yeah, I just don't know. I, I kind of feel for people who are in the industry. I'm sure there's a lot of intelligent people who've got some fantastic ideas. And I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. But um, I, I think that the, what we're seeing is consumer behavior now is, is decentralized. People are looking online to play. Tabletop Simulator probably replicates a tremendous number of, of iterations of games that people would normally play in person. So, um, you know, the world's changing. And hopefully the hobbies and stuff can accommodate what we love, which is miniature wargaming with technology and come up with something which is very compelling. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I think the future is going to have a lot of adaptation and I'm excited to see where it goes. And, you know, five years of A Song of Ice and Fire, man, I'm excited to see, you know, how this game continues to grow. I mean, I don't know. Mm. Ten, what, what could be the 10th faction here? Like, do you think... You know, I, at some point we need to have like a Brotherhood Without Banners thing, but like that wouldn't necessarily be a faction. Um, mm. I see that... I'm, you know, so I'm wondering where things are going to head. Yeah, I think the Brotherhood of Banners, about, but, um, I think that um, we've mentioned the Hill Tribes already, but obviously they'll be attached to Lannisters. Um, I don't think they're going to pepper the the neutrals with a whole bunch of, of other releases because I think it becomes a bit too much of a catch-all for things. Um, yeah. But if I'm looking at another, like, solid overall faction, maybe that's what the next book dictates. You know, we don't know. Um, I think it'd be difficult to insert something like that in there, but I think we'll probably see more sub-faction play um, and iterations around sort of different areas within like the, I don't know, Free Folk or within the, the Starks as an example. I know people are always asking for White Walkers, but I, I saw an article about uh, George R. R. Martin. I guess there at one point was plans to do like a White Walkers TV show and he had raised concerns about there maybe not being enough lore to really drive that. Yeah. And I, and I just, you know, me projecting here, but I could see that maybe 
being the same logic used about not putting it into the game yet. There's not enough you know textual things to really make that work. Yeah, like how exciting can a bunch of dead people be? It's not as if you like got like the, the, you know the dead. You can't have like dead people X, dead people Y. It's like well you know they pretty much have a lot of things in common. Um, you're dead people. You're mostly dead people. Yeah. You're people some semi dead people. Dead people with hammers. Who all, yeah, who, oh, they can all have hammers. <laughs> exactly. They all get together. So the Dippy War Hammers are all in the same unit. You know? Well, I'm pretty sure that the Sung of and Fire miniatures game already has had its first dead character in it. I do believe, wasn't it the Night's Watch? Was it the Night's Watch recruiter? I can't remember exactly. But on the card art, he like, didn't have his hand finished. Oh, really? You know what I'm talking about? I, no, uh, I didn't see that. Oh, gosh. I remember looking at the art so closely. It's not so much you having uh, him not having a hand. I think you've got too much time on your hands if you're looking that, at stuff. That, like that. must be. <laughs> anyway, what's what's popping um, on the table gaming? What are you working on at the moment? Oh my gosh! So the, I'm in the calm before the storm here. So obviously, there's a song of ice and fire stuff always going on. Like I said, 30 releases this year. There's a lot of, of big stuff coming up still. But then we've also got the Mass of the Universe Kickstarter, which is coming. This, you know, before the end of the year and Marvel Zombies as well. Those are two games that I really want to play a lot of. And I'm trying to think of like what kind of cool content. Sometimes like when I'm thinking about it in a content perspective, I think of also like what would be games that are cool to make like graphics for and and doing like 80s retro He-Man style graphics. That's cool. Superheroes, like all about that. So, you know, kind of anxiously awaiting those Kickstarter fulfillments. How long now for He-Man? When's that coming? I might be speaking out of turn. I think it's like quarter three, maybe. No, not quarter three. I think it's going to be like October, November, December. Is that, and those things may all be pushed back. Like, I don't really know the shipping situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, fingers crossed. And, you know, I just, I got a chance to just recently um, do a play along with Quackalope on his channel for the, the Dune War of Arrakis game, which I can't speak about, but I'm excited. You can tell me all about that. Come on, surely. That'll be an upcoming thing. But I I went in there. there, uh, The War of the Rings game is what it's based on that chassis. And I went in there thinking, this is just going to like a reskin, which is fine. Like, that's a great game. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I feel maybe bad saying this. I was skeptical, Uh, but they did the due diligence. They made it work. They really tied the theme in and they spent a lot of time thinking about how to use that chassis, but make it something that is really Dune specific. And it's a great asymmetrical game. I'm I'm kind of bummed that I enjoyed it so much because like, I, I don't really need to put another big box on my shelf here, but it's, it's a game that I think it's going to be one I'll play with like, uh, like my dedicated, like a dedicated buddy. I know we'll play a bunch of it together and that'll be like our thing. Yeah. Uh, probably not one I bring to like a board game night at the library, but if you like the War of the Rings game, that mechanic, that style of game, the area control combat, like just check out the playthrough. Okay, very cool. I'll certainly check it out. And you know, I think maybe we'll wrap it up there. I think we had a good a good run of it here. <laughs> you know, this is basically me and you talking like we do each week anyway. So I hope people at home yeah, enjoyed exactly. it. There's there enough to keep people going and uh, probably not much in the way of content, but uh, at least we had some fun along the way. You know, and we also put these podcasts up on YouTube. And if you have any opinions or thoughts about like the future of gaming, you know, what do you think the scene will look like in 10, 15 years? Like drop a note. I'd be really interested to see what people's perspectives are on that. And, uh, you know, in the meantime... Hope you get your miniatures on the The table. table.